Marie by H. Ryder Haggard. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. Chapter Eleven: The Shot in the Kloof. I think it was about three weeks after these events that we began our southward trek. On the morning subsequent to our arrival at Marais's camp, Pereira came up to me when several people were present and taking my hand thanked me in a loud voice for having saved his life thenceforward he declared i should be dearer to him than a brother for was there not a blood bond between us i answered i did not think any such bond existed indeed i was not sure what it meant i had done my duty by him neither less nor more and there was nothing further to be said it turned out however that there was a great deal further to be said since Pereira desired to borrow money, or rather goods, from me, he explained that owing to the prejudices of the vulgar Boers who remained alive in that camp, and especially of the scandalous-tongued Verreau Prinslow, both he and his uncle had come to the conclusion that it would be wise for him to remove himself as soon as possible. Therefore he proposed to trek away alone. I answered that I should have thought he had done enough solitary travelling in this veld seeing how his last expedition had ended he replied that he had indeed but every one here was so bitter against him that no choice was left then he added with an outburst of truth Allah Makti, mine hair quatermain do you suppose that it is pleasant for me to see you making love all day to the maid who was my betrothed and to see her paying back the love with her eyes yes and doubtless with her lips too from all i hear you could leave her whom you called your betrothed but who never was betrothed to any one but me with her own will to starve in the veld mynheer why then should you be angry because i picked up that which you threw away that too which was always my own and not yours had it not been for me there would now be no maid left for us to quarrel over as had it not been for me there would be no man left for me to quarrel with about the maid are you god then englishman that you dispose of the lives of men and women at your will it was he who saved us not you he may have saved you but it was through me i carried out the rescue of these poor people whom you deserted and i nursed you back to life i did not desert them i went to get help for them taking all the powder and the only horse with you well that is done with and now you want to borrow goods to pay for cattle from me whom you hate you are not proud, Mynheer Pereira, when you have an end to serve, whatever that end may be. And I looked at him. My instinct warned me against this false and treacherous man, who I felt was even then plotting in his heart to bring some evil upon me. No, I'm not proud. Why should I be, seeing that I mean to repay you twice over for anything which you may lend me now? I reflected a while. Certainly our journey to Natal would be pleasanter if Pereira were not of the company. Also, if he went with us, I was sure that before we came to the end of that trek, one or the other of us would leave his bones on the road. In short, not to put too fine a point on it, I feared lest in this way or in that he would bring me to my death in order that he might possess himself of Marie. We were in a wild country, with few witnesses and no law courts, where such deeds might be done again and again, and the doer never called to account for lack of evidence and judges. So I made up my mind to fall in with his wishes, and we began to bargain. The end of it was that I advanced him enough of my remaining goods to buy the cattle he required from the surrounding natives. 
It was no great quantity, after all, seeing that in this uncivilised place an ox could be purchased for a few strings of beads or a cheap knife. Further, I sold him a few of the beasts that I had broken, a gun, some ammunition, and certain other necessaries, for all of which things he gave me a note of hand written in my pocket-book. Indeed, I did more, for as none of the Boers would help him, I assisted Pereira to break in the cattle he bought, and even consented when he asked me to give him the services of two of the Zulus whom I had hired. All these preparations took a long while. If I remember right, twelve more days had gone before Pereira finally trekked off for Moraes's camp, by which time he was quite well and strong again. We all assembled to see the start, and Marais offered up a prayer for his nephew's safe journey and our happy meeting again in Natal, the lager of Retief, which was to be our rendezvous if that leader were still in Natal. No one else joined in the prayer, only Veru Prinslow audibly added another of her own. It was to the effect that he might not come back a second time, that she might never see his face again, either at Retief's lager or anywhere else if it would please the good Lord so to arrange matters. The Boers tittered, even the Maya children tittered, for by this time the hatred of Veru Prinslow for Hernan Pereira was the joke of the place. But Pereira himself pretended not to hear, said good-bye to us all affectionately, adding a special petition for the Veru Prinslow, and off we went. I say we went, because with my usual luck, to help him with the half-broken oxen, I was commandeered to accompany this man to his first outspan, a place with good water about twelve miles from the camp, where he proposed to remain for the night. Now, as we started about ten o'clock in the morning, and the veld was fairly level, I expected that we should reach this outspan by three or four in the afternoon, which would give me time to walk back before sunset. In fact, however, so many accidents happened of one sort or another, both to the wagon itself, of which the woodwork had shrunk with long standing in the sun, and to the cattle, which, being unused to the yoke, tied themselves in a double knot upon every opportunity, that we only arrived there at the approach of night. The last mile of that trek was through a narrow gorge, cut out by water in the native rock. Here trees grew sparsely, also great ferns, but the bottom of the gorge, along which game were accustomed to travel, was smooth enough for wagons, save for a few fallen boulders which it was necessary to avoid. When at length we reached the outspan, I asked the Hottentot Klaus, who was assisting me to drive the team, where his master was, for I could not see him anywhere. He answered that he had gone back down the kloof to look for something that had fallen from the wagon. A bolt, I think he said. Very good, I replied. Then tell him that if we do not meet, that I have returned to the camp. As I set out, the sun was sinking below the horizon, but this did not trouble me over much, as I had a rifle with me, that same light rifle with which I had shot the geese in the great match. Also I knew that the moon being full would be up presently. The sun sank, and the kloof was plunged in gloom. The place seemed eerie and lonesome, and suddenly I grew afraid. I began to wonder where Pereira was, and what he might be doing. I even thought of turning back and finding some way round, only having explored all this district pretty thoroughly in my various shooting expeditions from the camp, I knew there was no practicable path across those hills. So I went on with my rifle at full cock, 
whistling to keep up my courage, which, of course, in the circumstances was a foolish thing to do. It occurred to me at the time that it was foolish, but in truth I would not give way to the dark suspicions which crossed my mind. Doubtless by now Pereira had passed me and reached the outspan. The moon began to shine, that wonderful African moon, which turns night to day, throwing a network of long black shadows of trees and rocks across the game track I was following. Right ahead of me was a particularly dark patch of this shadow, caused by a projecting wall of cliff, and beyond it an equally bright patch of moonlight. Somehow I misdoubted me of that stretch of gloom, for although of course I could see nothing there, my quick ear caught the sound of movements. I halted for a moment, then reflecting that these were doubtless caused by some night-walking creature, which, even should it chance to be dangerous, would flee at the approach of man. I plunged into it boldly. As I emerged at the other end, the shadow was eighteen or twenty paces long. It occurred to me that if any enemy were lurking there, I should be an easy target as I entered the line of clear light. So, almost instinctively, for I do not remember that I reasoned the thing out, after my first two steps forward in the light, I gave a little spring to the left, where there was still shadow, although it was not deep. Well was it for me that I did so, for at that moment I felt something touch my cheek, and heard the loud report of a gun immediately behind me. Now the wisest course would have been for me to run before whoever had fired found time to reload. But a kind of fury seized me, and run I would not. On the contrary, I turned with a shout and charged back into the shadow. Something heard me coming. Something fled in front of me. In a few seconds we were out into the moonlight beyond, and as I expected I saw that this something was a man, Pereira. He halted and wheeled round, lifting the stock of his gun, club fashion. Oh, thank God it's you here, Alan, he said. I thought you were a tiger. Then it is your last thought, murderer, I answered, raising my rifle. Don't shoot, he said. Would you have my blood upon you? Why do you want to kill me? Why did you try to kill me? I answered, covering him. I? Try to kill you? Are you mad? Listen for your own sake. I sat down on the bank yonder waiting for the moon, and being tired fell asleep. Then I woke up with a start, and thinking from the sounds that a tiger was after me, fired to scare it. Alamakti, man, if I had aimed at you, could I have missed at that distance? You did not quite miss and had I not stepped to the left, you would have blown my head off. Say your prayers, you dog. Alan Quatermain, he exclaimed with desperate energy. You think I lie, who speak the truth. Kill me if you will, only then remember that you will hang for it. We caught one woman, that is known, and who will believe this story of yours, that I tried to shoot you? Soon the Kaffirs will come to look for me. Probably they are starting already, and will find my body with your bullet in my heart. Then they will take it back to Moraes's camp, and I say, who will believe your story? Some, I think, murderer, but as I spoke, the words of a chill of fear struck me. It was true. I could prove nothing, having no witnesses, and henceforward I should be a cane among the Boers, one who had slain a man for jealousy. His gun was empty, yes, but it might be said that I had fired it after his death. And as for the graze upon my cheek, why, a twig may have caused it. What should I do then, drive him before me to the camp, and tell this tale? Even then it would be but my word against his. 
no he had me in a forked stick i must let him go and trust that heaven would avenge his crime since i could not moreover by now my first rage was cooling and to execute a man thus hernan pereira i said you are a liar and a coward you tried to butcher me because marie loves me and hates you and you want to force her to marry you yet i cannot shoot you down in cold blood as you deserve i leave it to god to punish you as soon or late he will here or hereafter you who thought to slaughter me and trust to the hyenas to hide your crime as they would have done before morning get you gone before i change my mind and be swift without another word he turned and ran swiftly as a buck leaping from side to side as he ran to disturb my aim in case i should shoot when he was a hundred yards away or more i too turned and ran never feeling safe till i knew there was a mile of ground between us it was past ten o'clock that night when i got back to the camp here i found hans the hottentot about to start to look for me with two of the zulus and told him that i had been detained by accidents to the wagon the Vrou prinsloo was still up also waiting to hear of my arrival what was the accident alan she asked it looks as though there had been a bullet in it and she pointed to the bloody smear upon my cheek i nodded pereira's she asked again i nodded a second time did you kill him no i let him go it would have been said that i murdered him and i told her what had happened yeah alan she remarked when i had finished i think you were wise for you could have proved nothing but oh for what fate i wonder is god almighty saving up that stink cat well i will go and tell marie that you are back safe for her father won't let her out of the hut so late but nothing more unless you wish it no tante i think nothing more at any rate at present here i may state however that within a few days marie and everyone else in the camp knew the story in detail except perhaps marais to whom no one spoke of his nephew evidently Veru prinsloo had found herself unable to keep secret such an example of the villainy of her aversion pereira so she told her daughter who told the others quickly enough though i gathered that some of them set down what had happened to accident bad as they knew pereira to be they could not believe that he was guilty of so black a crime about a week later the rest of us started for marais camp a place that notwithstanding the sadness of many of its associations i confess i left with some regret the trek before us although not so very long was of an extremely perilous nature we had to pass through about two hundred miles of country of which all we knew was that its inhabitants were the amatonga and other savage tribes here i should explain that after much discussion we had abandoned the idea of retracing the route followed by marais on his ill-fated journey towards delagoa had we taken this it would have involved our crossing the terrible lobombo mountains over which it was doubtful whether our light cattle could drag the wagons moreover the country beyond the mountains was said to be very bare of game and also of kaffirs so that food might be lacking on the other hand if we kept to the east of the mountains and veldt through which we must pass was thickly populated which meant that in all probability we could buy grain what finally decided us to adopt this route however was that here in these warm low-lying lands there would be grass for the oxen indeed now at the beginning of spring in this part of africa it was already pushing even if it were not the beasts could live upon what herbage remained over from last summer and on the leaves of trees 
neither of which in this winter veldt ever became quite lifeless whereas on the seri and the fire-swept plains beyond the mountains they might find nothing at all so we determined to risk the savages and the lions which followed the game into these hot districts especially as it was not yet the fever season or that of the heavy rains so that the rivers would be fordable i do not propose to set out our adventures in detail for those would be too long until the great one of which i shall have to tell presently they were of an annoying rather than of a serious nature travelling as we did between the mountains and the sea we could not well lose our way especially as my zulus had passed through that country and when their knowledge failed us we generally managed to secure the services of local guides the roads however or rather the game tracks and kaffir paths which we followed were terrible for with the single exception of that of pereira for part of the distance no wagon had ever gone over them before indeed a little later in the year they could not have been travelled at all sometimes we stuck in bogs out of which we had to dig the wheels sometimes in the rocky bottoms of streams while once we were obliged literally to cut our way through a belt of dense bush from which it took us eight days to escape our other chief trouble came from the lions whereof there were great numbers in this belt the prevalence of these hungry beasts forced us to watch our cattle very closely while they grazed and at night wherever it was possible to protect them and ourselves in bombast or fences of thorns within which we lit fires to scare away wild beasts notwithstanding these precautions we lost several of the oxen and ourselves had some narrow escapes thus one night just as marie was about to enter the wagon where the women slept a great lion desperate with hunger sprang over the fence she leapt away from the beast and in doing so caught her foot and fell down whereon the lion came for her in another few seconds she would have been dead or carried off living but as it chanced Vrou Prinslow was close at hand seizing a flaming bough from the fire that intrepid woman ran at the lion and as it opened its huge mouth to roar or bite thrust the burning end of the bough into its throat the lion closed its jaws upon it then finding the mouthful not to its taste departed even more quickly than it had come uttering the most dreadful noises and leaving marie quite unhurt needless to say after this i really worshipped the vrou prinslow though she good soul thought nothing of the business which in those days was but a common incident of travel i think it was on the day after this lion episode that we came upon pereira's wagon or rather its remains evidently he had tried to trek along a steep rocky bank which overhung a stream with the result that the wagon had fallen into the stream bed then almost dry and had been smashed beyond repair the tonga natives of the neighbourhood who had burned most of the woodwork in order to secure the precious iron bolts and fittings informed us that the white man and his servants who were with the wagon had gone forward on foot some ten days before driving their cattle with them whether this story were true or not we had no means of finding out it was quite possible that pereira and his companions had been murdered though as we found the tongas very quiet folk if well treated and given the usual complimentary presents for way-leaves this did not seem probable indeed a week later our doubts upon this point were cleared up thus we had reached a big kraal called fakoti on the umkuzi river which appeared to be almost deserted we asked an old woman who we met there where its people had gone 
she answered that they had fled towards the borders of swaziland fearing an attack from the zulus whose territories began beyond the umkusi river it seemed that a few days before a zulu impi or regiment had appeared upon the banks of the river and although there was no war at the time between the zulus and the tongas the latter had thought it wise to put themselves out of reach of those terrible spears on hearing this news we debated whether it would not be well for us to follow their example and trekking westwards to try and find a pass in the mountains upon this point there was a division of opinion among us marais who was a fatalist wished to go on saying that the good lord would protect us he had done in the past Makti answered the Vrou Prinslow. Did he protect all those who lie dead at Marais's camp? Whither your folly led us, mynheer? The good Lord expects us to look after our own skins. And I know that these Zulus are of the same blood as Umsilikazi's Kaffirs, who have killed so many of our people. Let us try the mountains, say I. Of course her husband and son agreed with her. For them the Vrou's word was law. But Marais, being as usual obstinate, would not give way. All that afternoon they wrangled, while I held my tongue, declaring that I was willing to abide by the decision of the majority. In the end, as I foresaw they would, they appealed to me as act as umpire between them. Friends, I answered, if you had asked me my opinion before, I should have voted for trying the mountains, beyond which, perhaps, we might find some Boers. I do not like this story of the Zulu Impi. I think that someone has told them of our coming, and that it is us they mean to attack, and not the Tongas, with whom they are at peace. My men say it is not unusual for impis to visit this part of the country. Who could have told them? asked Marais. I don't know, mine here. Perhaps the natives have sent on word, or perhaps Hernan Pereira. I knew that you would suspect my nephew, Allan, he exclaimed angrily. I suspect no one. I only weigh what is probable. However, it's too late for us to move tonight, either south or westwards, so I think I will sleep over the business and see what I can find out from my Zulus. That night, or rather the following morning, the question was settled for us, for when I woke up at dawn, it was to see the faint light glimmering on what I knew must be spears. We were surrounded by a great company of Zulus, as I discovered afterwards over two hundred strong thinking that after their fashion they were preparing to attack us at dawn i called the news to the others whereon marais rushed forward just as he had left his bed cocking his roar as he came for the love of god do not shoot i said how can we resist so many soft words are our only chance still he attempted to fire and would have done so had i not thrown myself upon him and literally torn the gun from his hand by this time the Varu prinslow had come up a very weird spectacle i recollect in what she called her sleep garments that included a nightcap made of a worn jackal skin and a kind of otter pelt stomacher a cursed fool she said to marais would you cause all our throats to be cut go forward you allan and talk to those swatzels that is black creatures gently as you would to a savage dog you have a tongue steeped in oil and they may listen to you yes i answered that seems the best thing to do if i should not return give my love to marie so i beckoned to the headman of my zulus whom i had hired at delagoa to accompany me and march forward boldly quite unarmed we were encamped upon a rise of ground a quarter of a mile from the river and the impi or those of them whom we could see 
were at the foot of this rise about a hundred and sixty yards away. The light was growing now, and when I was within fifty paces of them, they saw me. At some word of command a number of men rushed toward me, their fighting shields held over their bodies and their spears up. "'We are dead!' exclaimed my Kaffir in a resigned voice. I shared his opinion, but thought I might as well die standing up as running away. Now I should explain that though as yet I had never mixed with these Zulus, I could talk several native dialects kindred to that which they used, very well indeed. Moreover, ever since I had hired men of their race at Delagoa, I had spent all my spare time in conversing with them and acquiring a knowledge of their language, history and customs. So by this time I knew their tongue fairly, although occasionally I may have used terms which were unfamiliar to them. Thus it came about that I was able to shout to them, asking what was their business with us. Hearing themselves addressed in words which they understood, the men halted, seeing that I was unarmed. Three of them approached me. We come to take you prisoners, white people, or to kill you if you resist, said their captain. By whose order, I asked? By the order of Dingaan, our king. Is it so? And who told Dingaan we were here? The Boer who came in front of you. Is it so? I said again. And now what do you need of us? That you should accompany us to the kraal of Dingaan. I understand we are quite willing since it lies upon our road, but then why do you come against us? who are peaceful travellers with your spears lifted. For this reason the Boer told us that there is among you a child of George, an Englishman, a terrible man who would kill us unless we killed or bound him first. Show us this child of George that we may make him fast or slay him, and we will not hurt the rest of you. I am the child of George, I answered, and if you think it necessary to make me fast, do so. Now the Zulus burst out laughing. You? Why, you are but a boy who weighs no more than a fat girl, exclaimed their captain, a great bony fellow who was named Kambula. That may be so, I answered, but sometimes the wisdom of their fathers dwells in the young. I am the son of George who saved these Boers from death far away, and I am taking them back to their own people. We desire to see Dingaan your king. Be pleased, therefore, to lead us to him, as he has commanded you to do. If you do not believe what I tell you, ask this man who is with me, and his companions who are of your own race. They will tell you everything. Then the captain, Kambula, called my servant apart and talked with him for a long while. When the interview was finished, he advanced to me and said, Now I have heard all about you. I have heard that although young, you are very clever, so clever that you do not sleep, but watch by night as well as by day. Therefore I, Kambula, name you Macumazan, watcher by night, and by that name you shall henceforth be known among us. Now, Macumazan, son of George, bring out those boars whom you are guiding, that I may lead them in their moving huts to the great place Umgungundaluvu, where dwells Dingan the king. See, we lay down our spears, and will come to meet them unarmed, trusting you to protect us, O Macumazan, son of George. And he cast his assegai to the ground. Come, I said, and led them to the wagons. End of chapter 11